Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture this evening, uh, Mark chapter 11 and James chapter 5. Um, I want to teach on uh, on something that, um, um, well, it seems to me that not a lot of people recognize. It's an interesting thing because uh, the Bible says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. That's certainly true where healing is concerned. A lot of people don't have the knowledge of uh, uh, who the author of sickness and disease is. Uh, the Bible says that when God created the, world, the earth in six days, he made everything that he ever made. And at the end of those six days, he rested and, and looked at it and said, this is very good. Well, if sickness was created and or used by God, then it had to be created during those first six days. Yet the Bible tells us specifically the things that he did create in those six days, and sickness is not on the list. There was nothing on the earth to harm or hurt man in any way whatsoever. And that's the way that it stayed until Adam disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, the death he was talking about wasn't physical death because Adam didn't die for 930 years uh, after, until 930 years after he disobeyed God. So what kind of death did Adam die? He died the death of spiritual death. His spirit became estranged or separated from God. That's what spiritual death is. It's separation from God. And as such, sin, sickness, and disease, and everything that you can think of, bad, uh, poverty, lack, and so forth, became the, the rule for the earth, which means these are things that originated with Satan. They're byproducts or characteristics of spiritual death. Well, if a Christian doesn't know that, if a Christian doesn't know that Jesus paid the price not only for his sin but also for his sickness, then a Christian can be subject to sickness and disease just like the unsaved. So certainly people in the church world and the family of God have perished and do perish for a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge of what Jesus has done for them. But when you get on the other side and, and start dealing with people that do believe, or at least are, are trying to believe, for their healing, a lot of times people fail to receive their healing and in that sense perish from, uh, from that standpoint because they don't understand how healing works. I think a lot of times people just have the idea that, uh, that healing or anything else from God comes by just praying a prayer and then just sitting back and letting God do all the work. Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't found too many things to work that way in my life. Have you? And a lot of Christians wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and never get any results and finally come up to the conclusion that it must not have been God's will for them to have it. But that's impossible if the Bible says that it's the will of God for you to have something. In other words, just because so much of the church world has failed to receive their healing is not proof that it's not God's will to heal. The proof that we have that it is God's will to heal is the word of God, which can never change, that tells us that God wants everybody to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That word salvation is an all-inclusive term that means healing too. But it, it depends on, in many cases, it depends on coming to the truth. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. There are two main ways. There are more, than way, more ways than this. But there are two main ways that healing comes. Two main ways that healing comes. Let's talk about the first one. Mark chapter 11. Jesus said in verse 22, have faith in God. So we know the subject that he's talking about is faith. Here's what faith in God looks like. He knows because he's just operated in it. Who better to tell us how faith works than Jesus, the Son of God on the earth? How does it work? Verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Notice faith has something to do with saying. 
whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt, here's the condition, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart. Now, we could spend a, a, a month of services talking about what doubting is the heart, doubting in the heart is and what is faith of the heart. But let me just give you the, the definition real quickly. Shall not doubt in his heart means not be moved by what he sees or feels. But instead believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Doubt in the heart is believing according to what you see. Faith of the heart or believing in the heart is believing according to or saying according to what you believe. Doubt in the heart is saying, speaking according to what you see. Faith or believing of the heart is speaking according to what you believe. That's the condition that he placed upon it. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever saith. Then he says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray. So now he's talking about the operation of faith in prayer. He hadn't changed subjects. He's talking about how faith works in prayer. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now look with me over to James chapter 5. James is writing to the church by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He's taken over for Peter after a short period of time. When the church first began, God raises up James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, to stand in and operate in the office of the pastor. Notice he says in verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Here's the answer for being afflicted. That means being in a test or trial or trouble. Let him pray. Prayer is the answer. Is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the very fact that James asked by the Holy Ghost, is there any sick among you, implies, I believe it goes further than an implication, but we can certainly say implies that the Holy Ghost, inspiring James to write these words, doesn't want anybody to be sick in the church because he gives them an answer. When James says, is any sick among you, the implication is there shouldn't be. But if there is, here's the answer. Let them call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, pray over them, the sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. See, a lot of times people stop right there and they get hung up on the anointing of, uh, with oil. Well, it's the anointing with oil that does it. No, that's not what does it. Notice verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, this word save is the word sozo, Greek word sozo, and it's an all-inclusive term. It's the all-inclusive term that I was talking to you about before. It means to save, to heal, to rescue, to deliver, and so forth. So we could very accurately translate this, this uh, uh, word in this scripture and probably should since this is the, the subject that is being spoken of. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven. him. Now, compare these verses of scripture in Mark chapter 11 verses 23 and 24 and James chapter 5 verses 13 through 15. We know that healing is included in what Jesus was talking about being able to receive. Because Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He didn't say, what things soever you desire except for healing. 
Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So we know, therefore, since he didn't make any exceptions, that it has to include everything, including healing. So when he says in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, when you pray, believe, he's talking about the prayer of faith. Here, James chapter 5, verse 15 says, the prayer of faith operates in the church to heal the sick. Now, what's the difference in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, and James chapter 5, verse 15? One very simple difference. Who's doing the praying? That's the only difference in those two things. That's the only difference in how the healing is received. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24 is talking about you doing your own praying, you doing your own speaking, you doing your own believing to receive. In this case, because of our topic of healing school, we're talking about receiving your healing. In James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, it's talking about somebody else doing the prayer of faith for, or maybe a better way to say that is with you. Somebody praying the prayer of faith for you won't do any good unless you're in agreement with it. I can't pray the prayer of faith for you and neither can anybody else against your will. It would be just wasted words. But if you're in agreement with the prayer of faith that I pray and we pray together this prayer of faith, which is what's indicated in James chapter 5, then the Bible says, if the Bible's true, if God is telling us the truth, the Holy Ghost inspired these words to be written. If God's telling us the truth, he's saying the prayer of faith prayed by the elders of the church will heal the sick. They will heal, that prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, he didn't say unless it's a big, a big uh, uh, serious disease. He doesn't make any distinction between big sickness, little sickness, great sickness, small sickness, chronic sickness. Sickness, as the doctor said, can't be done anything about. He makes no distinction whatsoever. He said the prayer of faith shall, 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 that's the strongest word you can use, shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Aren't you glad you don't have to raise yourself up? You can figure out pretty quick there's no ability on your part to do that. So he says, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. In other words, it's saying very simply this. It's saying the prayer of faith prayed effectively, prayed correctly, always works. You can pray it for yourself. You can have the elders of the church pray for you. And it'll always work if you pray it effectively. And folks, you don't have a stronger guarantee in all the scripture than this. God said it always works. Always works. Yeah, but what about sister so-and-so that tried it and didn't, didn't get her healing? You hear people say these things. Yeah, I know somebody that believed God and he died. Well, what does that mean? It can only mean one of two things. Either they didn't do it effectively or God's a liar. I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick with God. You're never going to catch me saying God's a liar about anything based on somebody else's circumstance. But that's what happens so often. The devil uses failed attempts by others to try to throw doubt, sow doubt in our hearts, which, remember, is defined as speaking according to what you see or feel. He tries to make you feel something. He tries to make you think contrary to the word so that it will affect your words. Because faith is about what you believe and say. It's not just about what you think. 
And it's not just about what you believe. It's about what you believe and say. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, and James is saying by the Holy Ghost in, in James chapter 5, that the prayer of faith will always work if it's prayed effectively. Pray right and you'll always get results. Now, I wish it said pray right and you'll always get instant results. But it doesn't say that. But it does say pray right, meaning pray the prayer of faith correctly, effectively, and you'll always get results. Anything to the contrary is to call God a liar. And he's not. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has God said it and shall he not make it good? Has he said it and shall he not perform it? God's word's always true. So the prayer of faith will always bring healing to the sick. If it's prayed effectively. It will always bring healing to the sick. Always. Cannot fail. Foolproof. Well, the only condition that it makes there in Mark chapter 11 that we read in verse 23 is shall not doubt in his heart. The condition of the prayer of faith in Mark chapter 11 verse 24 is when you pray, believe that you receive. In other words, you've got to do your believing before you see. You've got to do your believing when you're praying. But what does believing God do? Believing God takes the word and speaks in line with it. Now, there is one other condition we didn't read in verse 25. Jesus went on to say, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody. Unforgiveness will stop the prayer of faith from working. But that's really a short list of requirements to, make a, to, to bring about a guaranteed result. Wouldn't you agree? I'm willing to stay out of unforgiveness if it means my healing. I'm willing to speak according to what God's word says instead of what I see or feel if it means my healing. Aren't you? Those are the conditions. I'm, I'm willing to believe I receive when I pray if it means my healing. Aren't you? Pretty short list of conditions. Well, that's one stream of healing, one method, one main method of healing. The other is, uh, is uh, what we see Jesus operating in in his earthly ministry. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Prayer of faith always works, folks. If you don't get anything else from this message, get that. The prayer of faith prayed effectively, which you can always do, is not too hard. It's not beyond you. It's not something that belongs to just a select group. The prayer of faith prayed effectively always works. Always gets results. It's true for healing. It's true for finances. It's true for anything and everything in life. You've got God's guarantee. Acts 10.38 tells us how Jesus operated here on the earth. How God, this is Peter speaking at Cornelius' house, telling them about uh, uh, the Messiah that they didn't know anything about. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice it says that Jesus ministered with a healing anointing. With a healing anointing. And notice it does not say that Jesus was sent by God to go around and pray the prayer of faith for people. In fact, the, the method that James is instructed by the Holy Ghost to tell the elders of the church or to tell the church how to get their healing through the elders... It wasn't about anointing with oil. It was about praying the prayer of faith. You never see Jesus praying the prayer of faith over anybody for healing. Why? Because he didn't minister that way. He ministered with a healing anointing. 
Why would Jesus minister or pray the prayer of faith? Let's call it praying instead of ministering. Why would Jesus pray the prayer of faith over somebody for healing if he had the healing anointing to bring it about on the spot? In other words, he's using the greater method because he's anointed of the Holy Ghost. Now turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. We'll see this in operation. Mark chapter 5 tells us about the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Beginning in verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. In other words, there was no medical hope for her. Medical science of the day could do nothing for her. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, notice faith has something to do with what you say. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Notice the feeling didn't come until after she said. Notice nothing was felt in her body until after she said, believed and said, what she had get from the Lord. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, or literally that's the word power, translated throughout the New Testament, that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus did not say, My power has made you whole. When you know as well as I do from reading the story, it was the power of God that changed the situation in her body. Wasn't it? Why did Jesus not credit his power, but instead credit her faith? Because faith actually activates the power. Remember what we just read over in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, power, who went about doing good and healing. Healing must be good in God's eyes. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That means everybody that Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. How could the Bible make a statement like that? Because all sickness is is oppression and, and it comes from the source, the original source, which is the devil. There's not one case of sickness or disease in the history of mankind that's ever been caused or created by God. It's all the work of the devil. That's why Jesus doesn't have to pray when he comes to sick people. He doesn't have to pray and find out who is the will of God for him to heal. He doesn't come to people and say, see a blind man and say, now wait a minute, let me pray and find out if it's God's will to heal you. Never. You don't see Jesus praying about healing the sick in any way whatsoever. Why? Because he knows it's the will of God for every man to be healed. And the will of God doesn't change. If it was the will of God in Jesus' day, it's the will of God today. God's will never changes because God never changes. Furthermore, Jesus operated as a, as a a man anointed of the Holy Ghost with the power of God to heal, so he didn't have to pray about it. He just ministered that healing. You've got a couple of occasions here where the, the power of God was, uh, was manifest through the same method as, um, uh, as the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, and that is through the contact of his clothes. 
In Matthew chapter 14, about verse 34, 35, 36, somewhere around there, it talks about the multitudes that sought to touch the hem of his garment, and as many as that, were, that touched him, meaning his clothes, were made whole. But you'll find in Jesus' ministry that primarily, not in every case, but primarily Jesus ministered the healing power of God or the anointing of God, the healing anointing, if you'll allow me to use that term. He ministered that healing anointing through the physical contact. Through physical contact. Through physical contact. Now there were some places where Jesus healed with his word. Healed by speaking healing to, to people and they were, they were healed. But the primary way that you find through the examples given us in scripture throughout the gospels. Is that people were healed through the laying on of hands. Physical contact in some manner. Usually the laying on of hands when Jesus is initiating it. In her case in Mark chapter 5 she initiated it so she came up behind him and touched him. But there's the healing power of God that's initiated through physical contact. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important for a number of reasons. Well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up a little bit. What caused this healing anointing to work? What caused this healing anointing to work? Well, in Mark chapter 5, it wasn't just physical contact that caused it to work. Because you remember we just read Jesus, after she reached out and touched him, and he felt power go out of him and into somebody else. He stopped and looked around and said, who touched me? And the disciples' answer tells us a little bit about what's going on in the middle of the crowd. The disciples said, Master, the multitude throngeth thee. And sayest thou, who touched me? That's King James English for the disciples saying, everybody's touching you. Well, if everybody's touching him, why isn't everybody getting healed? You can't tell me that this woman is the only sick person in the crowd. What would be the point of people trying to touch him? If they didn't need something from him. Let's say that there's five other sick people in the crowd. I believe it would be a lot more than that. With Jesus' fame spreading abroad in the way that it did. But let's say there's five people in that crowd that are, that are sick. And reaching out and struggling to get to him and touching him. Just like everybody else is. Why didn't they get anything? I believe that's the reason Jesus credited her faith. Verse 34. Daughter thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and behold thy plague. What does that tell us? That tells us nobody else in the crowd touched him in faith. Now think about that. Everybody else in the crowd is doing the same thing physically. The same physical action is taking place in everybody in the crowd that can get close enough to Jesus to reach out and grab a hold of him. But only one person in that crowd, this woman, with the issue of blood, reaches out and touches him in faith. In other words, only one person is take, partaking of this physical activity to touch him. Because she believes something in her heart about healing and says it with her mouth. She's the only one believing for healing. She's the only one speaking healing. Now think about that too. In Jesus' day, when he was renowned enough to draw crowds. I mean, he, it's not like he printed his itinerary and everybody knew where he was going tomorrow. Jesus is so well known for the power of God operating through him and doing miraculous works. Many of them if not most of them, healing works. He's so renowned that people are waiting to find out where this guy's going to go. And once word gets out where he's going, everybody shows up as much as they can. Not only that, but they show up in such a way that they're reaching out and trying to grab hold of him. Everywhere he moves, there's a crowd of people that he has to work his way through. And everybody in the crowd, according to the disciples' report, everybody in the crowd that can get close enough to touch him is reaching out to grab a hold of him. 
Yet only one person in this multitude receives anything. Here's my point. If Jesus, with the reputation for healing that he had in his day, got one out of a multitude healed because only one out of the multitude believed, why should we be put off when people fail to receive healing through the prayer of faith today? See, people automatically assume that there's a problem on God's end. Well, is there a problem on Jesus' end on this uh, story in Mark chapter 5? Certainly not. But there's only one person that receives. Why? Because even where the healing anointing is concerned, people are healed by degrees. Degrees based on two things. The degree of healing anointing and manifestation. I don't believe you can get a greater manifestation of healing anointing than Jesus had. But secondly, the degree of faith exercised by the individual. She's the only one that believes, so she's the only one that reached or that, that activated the power when she reached out to touch him. Can you see that? It's critically important. It's so important for us to recognize. Healing is always based on degree. Now, that doesn't mean healing is, uh, uh, is always progressive. In many cases in Jesus' ministry, healing was instant. In her case, it came instantly. I believe that was because two things. The healing anointing was great and her faith was great. But in other cases, Jesus ministered with that which was given to him and people were healed progressively. Why is that? Well, was the healing anointing less on Jesus than it was on some days than it was on other days? We have to assume that that's possible. Because Jesus said himself, I'm not the one doing it. I'm not the one doing these works. It's the Father in me that does them. So he's not the one in control of it. Jesus is walking through the crowd. The healing anointing is on him. The healing anointing is present. The healing anointing is available for anybody that reaches out in faith. But he's not the one that controls who gets and who doesn't. Now sometimes people like in this case, like Jesus, are anointed of the Holy Ghost. They have a healing anointing upon them. If you remember hearing Brother Hagin's story in years past, you remember that he was in a tent meeting in Rockwall, Texas in 1950. And he was praying, and along with everybody else, it was raining, and he was kind of uh, found looked for a dry spot up on the platform. And uh, and when he was praying, small crowd, wasn't a big meeting, wasn't wasn't anything spectacular taking place in the in the service, especially not that night with the weather as bad as it was. It was a real small crowd. And as he was praying, he heard somebody saying, "Come up, come up hither." Brother Hagin said in recounting the story, he said he thought it was some kids up on the hill that the way that things were situated the, there was a, a hill out behind the where the the tent was set up he said i thought it was some kids out there mocking and making fun and and trying to disrupt the service he said i heard it the second time he said come up hither and he, he said my thought was well somebody the pastor or somebody will take care of that i'm not going to bother about it the third time he heard it he said come up hither come up come up hither to the throne of god and instantly he was caught up into the spirit standing before Jesus. And Jesus put the right index finger, the finger of his right hand, in the palms of each one of Brother Hagin's hands. And he said when that happened, his hands began to burn like you put a coal of fire in there. And Jesus gave him some instructions. He said, I'm giving you a healing anointing to minister to the sick. He said, tell the people that I appeared unto you. Tell them that I gave you this anointing. He said, because if you'll tell them that I appeared to you, if they'll believe it and receive it, that healing anointing will go out of you and into their bodies to effect a healing and a cure in them. 
So in crusades, not certainly not every time Jesus, uh, Brother Hagin ministered, but in crusades, healing crusades, we'd go around the country and he'd tell the story. He'd tell about the, the vision that he had, about hearing the voice, come up hither, come up to the throne of God. Jesus, find him, he found himself standing before Jesus. He sometimes described a little bit of what he saw around the throne of God and so forth. And he'd tell about Jesus putting the finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of his hands. And he said that the reason that he told that was because he's trying to get people to believe. Because Jesus said, the more you tell it, the more that healing anointing will flow. And as people believe it and receive it, then it'll heal their bodies. Well, when those healing anointings, uh, when that those, uh, when the healing anointing was in manifestation, there would be times where it seemed like everybody in the crowd would get healed. But most times, and on average, you get about 10, 10% of the people healed. I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs and walk because of the healing anointing that was ministered to them, went into them and affected a healing and a cure in their bodies. I saw one guy who couldn't walk because his spine was broken. Spinal cord was broken. But here he is walking around the place. Well, how did that happen, Pastor Mike? Did God put his spine back together? I don't know. I don't think the guy cared at the point in time that he got out of the wheelchair. But I've also seen in that very same meeting, I saw somebody with asthma that thought that that was too big for God to heal, and they didn't receive. And they just saw the guy get out of the wheelchair. Brother Hagin came to them. It's a lady, older lady, came to this lady and said, Ma'am, what's the problem with you? She said, I've got asthma. He said, will you be healed when I lay hands on you? Because remember, it's faith that activates the healing anointing. You can have all the anointing in the world. Think about Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth. He said in Luke chapter 4, he read from the scripture, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach uh, the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. He's saying I'm anointed to heal. They've heard about him doing miracles of healings in Capernaum. He refers to it and they refuse to believe. Jesus makes the statement while he's there, no prophet is without honor except no prophet is without honor except in his own hometown or his own country. So what does that tell us? It tells us Jesus is there anointed as a prophet of God to heal the sick. Mark's account of this in Mark chapter six, verse five, it says that he could there. Doesn't say he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. And he could there do no mighty work. Save or except he laid his hands upon a few folks without with minor ailments and got them healed. But that's all he could do. He didn't have any blind eyes open. He didn't have any lepers cleansed. He didn't have any cripples walk. Why? Well, he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. See, so many times people want to put it over our own God. Well, or the preacher. Well, if the anointing is there, then, then things will happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because they're not really anointed. Well, if that was the case, then Jesus wasn't really anointed. If that's how it works. But no, that's not how it works. Now, sometimes God will anoint an individual. God anointed Jesus in this manner. I saw the healing anointing work in Brother Hagin in the years that I worked with him. And then sometimes God will anoint somebody for a specific period of time. The anointing is not necessarily upon them, but upon the situation. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 19. Let me prove this to you. Acts chapter 19 tells us about Paul in Ephesus. Verse 11, and God wrought wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, can I ask you a question? 
What's a special miracle? Isn't every miracle special? What's a special miracle? That should tell you right off the bat that there's something about this that's unusual. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Every miracle is is miraculous. Every miracle is, is spectacular. Every miracle is special no matter how you want to define the word special. A miracle qualifies. But the fact that it says a special miracle tells us that there's something unique or unusual about this. Well, what is it? God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases diseases departed from them, from the sick, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, this is very similar to what happened in Mark chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 14 with Jesus. They touched the hem of his garment. They touched cloth that he was wearing in contact with and they received their healing. Now here's a unique miracle that happens in the life of Paul, the life and the ministry of Paul. What makes it a unique miracle? We don't ever have record that this ever happened again. We might be able to uh, accurately translate this and God did a one-time miracle to the hands of Paul because we don't have any record of it since then or after this point in time. It would be improper to make an assumption that this is the way that it worked from here on out because we sure don't have evidence of it bible evidence of it so how could we assume that it was anything other than this one time that the bible tells us about you'd have to read something into the scripture to come up with another answer so this is a one-time special miracle now this tells us something about the healing anointing there are times occasions that the healing anointing will manifest just like God gives a special healing anointing to certain people. Now, why are we talking about this? Here's the reason. I believe in the last days, these occasions for the healing anointing to manifest are going to increase more and more and more and more. And it won't just be with us. It'll be all over the world. Now, can I ask you a question? How did Paul find out that it worked this way? From what the Bible tells us, and we just read what it says, two verses. Can we assume that it worked the way that we try to make it work today? Where somebody brings Paul a prayer cloth. And Paul prayed over the prayer cloth and said, take it to the sick. How did this happen? Well, folks, you got to assume the only thing that we would be, uh, that would, in my thinking, that would be appropriate to assume is that somehow something that Paul came in contact with found its way to the sick whether on purpose accidentally or whatever who knows and that sick person was healed so that then once they found out that it worked for one person then they started trying to make it work for other people and it did now the one time event was the one time when he was in Ephesus I don't mean a one time meaning a one service thing this would have to work for more than just a service just one gathering or else we wouldn't have record of it. But they found out that it worked. It's kind of like the, the, you remember in John chapter 5 where it tells us about the five porches full of people that were waiting for the angel to come down and stir the water up? Who found out that, the, that when the water was stirred, the sick got healed? How'd that come about the first time? Well, somebody happened up on it some way or another, I guess. And that from that point on, everybody's waiting for the angel to come down and stir the water. This is a similar occasion or a similar experience. Somebody got healed through some kind of handkerchief or apron or cloth. Now, tradition, church tradition tells us that Paul was in the business of tent making 
in the city of Ephesus, just like he was everywhere else he went. He was providing for his own well-being when he'd go to town and, and uh, start churches and preach the gospel. And that somebody took one of these aprons that he worked in that was uh, saturated with his sweat, perspiration, and they laid that on the sick, and they were healed. And so from that point on, they tried to get Paul to, to touch or come in contact with anything and everything that they could because they started spreading it out among the people. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. You judge for yourself. That's what church tradition tells us. Could be. Don't know for sure, but it could be. But the point is this. The healing anointing is identified in the scriptures working two ways. Through people that are anointed. Certain ministers that are going to have a healing anointing as part of the ministry that God has given them. And then occasions. Times. Specific situations where the healing anointing manifests. Now we've had a little bit of experience with this. I wish I could tell you I've got the same anointing that Brother Hagin does. But I don't think God would honor me lying about it. I'm not willing to try, but I just don't believe he would. But Jesus hadn't appeared to me. He hadn't put the right, the finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of my hands. I don't have that same healing anointing. I wish I had. One thing I know, though, in working with Brother Hagin, he couldn't turn it on and off. And even after telling people and them believing in it and many receiving their healing, there would come a point in time where the healing would lift from him. It wasn't an all-the-time type of thing, in other words. And when that healing anointing lifted, he'd tell people, he said, now, he'd come to the, to, to the next person or whatever it was, and I've seen him right in the middle of the line, right in the middle of the healing service, say, now, I've got to be honest with you, folks. I can't get away with lying any more than you can. The healing anointing just lifted off of me. Now, I can pray for the rest of you in faith, just like anybody else could at any point in time. But I can't minister to you with a healing anointing because it's no longer there. Well, that would cause most people's face to fall. Most everybody would be disappointed. And, and he, Brother Hagin would tell them, now, if you want me to pray for you in faith, I can do that. If you want to come back another time with a healing anointing in the manifestation, that's okay, too. That's up to you. And most people would do that. Most people had more faith in the healing anointing than they had in the prayer of faith. But we've had, throughout the years, we've had certain occasions, and they've been isolated events. We've had certain occasions where the healing anointing would begin to manifest. And many times it came as a result of the glory of God coming in on the service. And what I mean by that is this, and, and the only experience I had, I was not raised in a, in a charismatic church or a charismatic environment in any way. I didn't hear about the baptism of the Holy Ghost until I was in my late teens. And what I did hear from the Baptist church that I went to was not... Um, uh, favorable but I had a family member that got filled with the Holy Ghost and so I began taking a personal interest in it because now I've got people I'm going to church with saying that everybody that's filled with the Holy Ghost and speaks with the, the other tongues is of the devil well now they're talking about my mama so we got a problem now I may say my mama's crazy but don't you say a word so it, uh, it sparked my interest I wanted to know a little bit more about it and so I started doing some studying and started uh, going to some churches, Assembly of God churches and different things where, where that was believed in. The, the practice was a little bit, uh, well, in one place it was screwball. And another place they said they believed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but they never operated in it in any way, so you didn't know. But I started checking out on these things and, and wound up through a series of events going to Bible school out at Ramah where Brother Hagin was, was teaching. And God put me in a position where I started working, working for him. I didn't apply for a job. 
It was something that God set up. Only he could set it up. And it was one of the greatest blessings of my life. And in working with Brother Hagin, I found out a lot about these things. And there would be times where in services, Brother Hagin would be ministering. Might be ministering on this topic. Usually not, though. But all of a sudden, there would be a, a, a mist that would come into the room. It would be a cloud. And he would always refer to and talk to about uh, in the, the dedication of Solomon's temple back in, what is it, Second Kings 5 is one of the references where it talks about Solomon dedicating the temple. It said, And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priest could not stand to minister for reason of the cloud. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, it talks about the cloud, the glory cloud of God. The presence of God was seen like a cloud, a shining cloud. But Brother Hagin would be ministering, and all of a sudden, he'd start blinking his eyes a little bit and say, Well, here's the glory of God. Sometimes it would be greater, sometimes it would be less. Sometimes it would be like a, just a little mist or something like that. And other times it would get so thick that one time I saw him have to get back up on the platform because he couldn't see where he was. He couldn't see the people. It was like the cloud enveloped the whole room. And in those times, and of course, your reaction to that would be the same as mine. Everybody's looking around. Where is it? Where is it? Because it wasn't something he was seeing with his natural eye. It was something he was seeing with his spirit, man. Something he was seeing with the eyes of his spirit. And there have been times, not nearly as many as I'd like, but there have been times when we've been ministering and teaching the word on a variety of subjects when the glory of God would come in. I found this. I found that in Brother Hagin's uh, meetings as well as in our own, when people, instead of standing around gawking, trying to figure out where it is or what is it for or all this kind of stuff, seeing it from a natural side, when people will turn their hearts to the Lord and start worshiping him, then it increases. It gets thicker and thicker and thicker. One of the services that we were in with Brother Hagin, is, he said it was so thick. That's one, the one that he got back up on the platform. It was a big, great big high platform. So he had to walk around. There were uh, some steps out here in the front. But the room started filling up with the clouds so much that Brother Hagin started making his way to the, to the steps. By the time he got to the steps, he was overcome with the cloud. And so he kind of had to crawl up the steps. But once he got up onto the platform, then he could stand and function and minister. And when the, um, uh, there was a series of things that happened during that period of time, as people began to worship God, that's what he said. He said, let's just worship the Lord. So everybody lifted their hands and started worshiping God. By the time the cloud lifted, maybe 10 minutes later, every sick person in the building was, was well. well. That's hard to argue with. So you get people sit back and say, well, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Well, you believe what you want to, but every sick person in the room was, was healed. I don't think God's too bothered by you not believing in it. I'm looking for more and more of those things to happen in the last days. The Bible says the glory of God will be greater in the last days, church, than it ever was in the early days of the church. They had some pretty healthy things happening in the early days of the church, folks. They had healings. They had signs and wonders and miracles. They had salvations by the thousands from single events. The Bible says the glory of God will be greater on the church in the last days than in the former. So what's the point for teaching about these things? I've gone long enough. What's the point in teaching about these things? Because I want you to have faith in not only the word of God being true and what you believe and what you say coming to pass. I want you to have faith for the healing anointing to be manifested. If we don't know these things, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If we don't know these things and don't hear about these things, then we don't think to believe for them. 
that I could stand here all night and tell you isolated cases where I wasn't aware of healing, any healing anointing. I wasn't aware of anything special that was going on. But when I'd come to somebody and they would say, uh, come to somebody to lay hands on and administer healing to the sick, I would ask them a question about what they came for. And their faith would, would trigger a healing anointing that, that nobody was even aware was there. There have been times where I've laid hands on three or four people in a row, lay hands on this one, nothing, lay hands on this one, nothing, meaning I didn't feel or sense anything. Finally get to somebody that was drawing on you like just pulling on you with a rope. And all of a sudden a healing anointing would manifest for that individual. Go to the next person, nothing. Faith triggers, faith activates the anointing power of God. And remember what it said in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We can bring that healing anointing to bear, folks. We can believe it. We can believe for it. We can speak it. We can claim the promises of God. God wants everybody in this room healed more than you want yourself healed. He wanted it so much that he sent Jesus to accomplish it. Well, what does that mean? That means he wants you to find out how to receive it. If it takes a healing anointing for you to receive, then let's have a healing anointing. If it takes a special manifestation of God's power for his children to receive, God doesn't have a problem with that. All he requires of us is faith. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I'm not sure if I've got big faith or little faith. The Bible doesn't say what quantity of faith it takes. It says it just takes faith. So use what you've got. That'll be enough. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, Father, but your word will never fail. Therefore, we know that what we believe and what we speak in faith shall always come to pass. Thank you that the prayer of faith prayed effectively always works, Father. But Father, we want something more in these last days, too. We want another stream of healing to be manifested through the healing anointing. We ask you, Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus to manifest yourself among us. We're not just praying selfishly, Father. We don't want it just for us, but we do want it for us too. So we ask you, Father, for the presence of God to come in and settle in this place. As the word is ministered, the truth of God's word is ministered, Father, we thank you for manifesting yourself by the Holy Ghost with a tangible healing anointing to heal every sick person that names this church as their home. We thank you, Father, for healing the cripples. We thank you for opening blind eyes. We thank you for cancer disappearing from people's bodies. We thank you, Father, that every sickness and every disease will bow before the healing power of God. Thank you, Lord, that this is your will. We know that we're praying according to your plan and purpose. You desire to manifest yourself among your people. So, Father, we say, because we believe in our hearts, we say that the healing anointing is frequent and strong in this church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.